This is Richard Sachs. This is Lost Arts Radio, and we're back again. It's nice to see you. Um, a lot happening. This will, you know, things are evolving so fast. We feel like we should update things, you know, once an hour or something like that. But we'll keep up as well as we can. And we recently had a uh, very good response from Julie Wentz being on the show, and she's doing a great program with uh, Arizona Stands Up. The idea being. I think what she described it as is bringing back the constitutional rights of the people in a in the state as an example to people in other states and certainly in other countries too, with the idea that the basic rights, the natural rights as they've been called, that everybody has don't come from government. They don't come from the UN or any organization like that. You have them, you know, since the beginning of your life, before you're born actually. And uh, they just come to you, and governments can't take them away. That's why this country was started with the idea of unalienable rights. That means you can't declare that, oh, well, we just have to take your rights away for a little while, and then we'll be sure we remember to give them right back. You can't do that if they're unalienable. Otherwise, they're alienable, and you don't have any. Because anybody who wants you not to be free just declares an emergency, And so with that as the understanding of at least the theoretical foundation of this country as an example to others, with everybody possessing the same rights, no matter what country they live in, um, still remains to be lived up to, but there's an opportunity to do that. And we're in a really unusual situation, environmental situation right now. I don't mean with respect just to what's happening to the poisoning of the air and water and land. I mean the environment of what humans are doing, trying to take away the unalienable rights that you have, no matter where you're listening from. And the justification of that is a terrifying pandemic that is killing just about everybody in the world. And the way they know that is they got this test that tells you Everybody is dying of this, even if they die in a car crash or anything. If they test positive, supposedly, according to this test, that they actually died from the disease. And the only thing wrong with that, it sounds like a quite reasonable idea, but the test is not even a test. And we'll get into that, hopefully, in the short time that we've got, which, you know, if there are no numbers to quantify anything about what's going on right now, it's really hard to maintain the idea of a terrifying pandemic, but we'll, we'll have a chance to get into that. And our guest tonight is somebody I was really hoping would be willing to talk to us. And Julie once had mentioned that she had this great ally who was helping her project and doing a lot of other great work, a very conscious doctor that is doing a lot of work for humanity, Dr. Henry Ely. And he fortunately agreed in the middle of his intense schedule to come on the air and talk with us for a little while. It should be a great conversation. And instead of 
reading the paragraphs of his bio, I want to spend some time on really explaining uh, where he started all this, going back maybe from before it officially started in its present form, how he got interested and what's going on now and what's hoped for the future. And that should be a challenge to cover in the time we've got, but we'll see what we can do. So welcome, Dr. Ely, and thank you. I really appreciate your being here. Uh, thank you, Richard, uh, for having me on the program. I'm really honored to be here. Um, I, I've been telling folks, uh, like we spoke about a little bit yesterday, what's been so the silver lining in this year has yeah. been um, the connections that we are creating uh, from people from an incredible array, a diversity of backgrounds that we've been programmed and taught that we are antagonistic to each other, but that we are actually really connected. And one of the things that I was talking with my son about today is that it's it's really funny that um, progressives and conservatives alike um, seem to have an open heart and an open ear to um, the the research that myself and my team have been publishing. And it's these seem to be very divergent groups, but they actually agree on this. And it's it's been uh, very uh, reassuring and very, it fills up the, the hope cup. There, know, there is common have. ground. We don't have to <laughs> consider each other as enemies. Right. <laughs> just, just to explain, since I didn't really go into your bio or anything like that, I, I want to give people a feeling where you came from, not just what you're working on right now, mm-hmm. papers you're involved in and stuff like that, but how did you get into this whole kind of concern for the earth and what you could do for it? Well, I, I think the first thing um, that I want the audience to understand is um, what I'm doing, everybody can do. I, I'm, I'm nobody special. Um, and what's so important about that, that thought process is that it makes me dependent upon collective work and us coming together and, and seeking these common grounds. Right. Um, uh, I've, uh, I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor. I, I've been in practice uh, working with people for um, two decades. Um, prior to that, my previous life, I was a database developer and um, data analyst. And prior to that, I was a mechanical engineer. Um, I, I, uh, I, I really love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. And right. We saw um, one of the things I wanted to be able to do for people this year was um, there was a lot of fear in, in, right off the bat in January, February developing. You could feel the tension among yeah. us. So I felt like what I wanted to do was really embrace the Aloha spirit and be reassuring to people as much as the data would allow me to, you know, but I wanted to make sure we were telling the, we were showing, presenting all parts of the data. One of the big problems I've had throughout this is we talk about cases and fatalities, but we never talk about recoveries. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we paint these pictures and these images of the worst situations, but we don't consider the kids that have committed suicide and the people who've lost their businesses. Uh, right. we, don't, we don't think of the families that weren't able to be present when their loved one was passing away, and that, that weighs on me a, a great deal. I couldn't imagine having one of my parents passing away right now and me not being able to be present at their bedside. Um, yeah. because and that's what's me. happening commonly everywhere. Right. So, so um, you know, I, I have a pretty extensive background. I, I've uh, founded a school on holistic nutrition, uh, Energetic Health Institute. Uh, we're very proud of what we do. We feel like we graduate high caliber professionals um, who can become board certified. And, um, you know, we're, what we're doing, our, our entire ethos is, is really summed up in two questions. Am I working hard? And is my heart in the right place? 
And my duty um, to uh, my fellow Americans, my, my, my global community, is to make sure that I can answer yes to those two questions every day and in everything that I do, that yes, I'm working right. hard, and yes, my heart is in the right place. Where is the school? Uh, it's online, so we're in the ether. <laughs> we're, okay. yeah, yeah. It's uh, we're a nonprofit, um, and uh, uh, we are technically located in the state of Oregon, uh, in the United States. But uh, we have students all around the world. And, uh, and and what do they get board certified in? Uh, board certified in holistic nutrition. We teach okay. folks how okay. to really use natural medicines, especially food and and herbs uh, and nutrients, as as the medicine they're intended to be. So if somebody wants to become a student or find out about it, where do they go? Uh, go to energetichealthinstitute.org uh, okay. and just fill out a scholarship application and, and we'll meet you. There's no obligations. We just, we just, we love building relationships, you know, people. That's okay. what this is all about. When you say scholarship application, that kind of implies like some special deal on the cost of getting in or something like that. Is- exactly. We, we're very lucky um, to have some um, some sponsors that assist with us so we can ensure every new uh, student gets at least some um, scholarship so we can keep tuition very low for the students that have to pay tuition. Okay, that's great. And what kind of, you know, one of the reasons, there's so much to talk about, we need at least <laughs> 10 hours for this discussion. But, so I'll try to talk at high speed as much as I can. But, um, so, you know, right now, one of the things that people are interested in is that so many businesses are being destroyed mm-hmm. systematically and people are losing their income. They're reaching the end of their if they, most people don't actually have any savings, but they're right. like unemployment and stuff like that is running out. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for other ways to make a living. If they graduate from your institute, what kind of stuff can they do to actually make a living that's well, connected they, with it? They, it's a, thank you for asking. They, they can work with uh, clients. They can develop their own practice. They can uh, work in a supportive role with licensed physicians. We have plenty of our graduates who are doing that. We have some of our graduates who are working alongside doctors in oncology clinics, cancer clinics okay. um, throughout the world. And uh, they can write. They can, uh, they, can, they can do a lot. They can do their own seminars. They can start their own school. I would support oh, yeah, my students yeah, doing yeah. that. You know, they, yeah. There's a lot. It's really open-ended, which I, is what I love. It's, it's a it sounds great because so connecting a way to generate money that's actually not perpetuating evil, that's a really good idea. Right. <laughs> right. One that can be adapted to different people's situations and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you're doing is teaching at that institute, I guess, right? One of your regular activities. Yeah, correct. I'm very blessed to have a incredible student body. We, we attract um people with good hearts, you know, and it's just a joy. It's an absolute love of my life, you know, to be able to go into the school every day and work with the students. We just did a holistic nutrition masterclass that we do every week, uh, but we just did one today and we were talking and breaking down cases and teaching people how to think about healing so that there's understanding there's more options than just what we've been told out there and these options aren't voodoo they're not hocus pocus they're actually evidence-based options and we need Mm -hmm. to make sure people understand that there is scientific evidence behind nutrition as a primary modality of healing yeah yeah exactly um okay so we talk a lot about that what what (laughs) other major things are you involved in right now 
Uh, well, this COVID stuff has definitely become a huge part of my life. I work two jobs now. Oh, <laughs> one, okay. one I get paid for, one I volunteer. The COVID stuff I, I volunteer on, but I'm a part of a research team that's invested in, uh, that's filled with uh, doctors and um, nutritionists and attorneys and public health policy specialists and death reporting clerks and um, from all walks of life. Uh, collectively, we've invested now at this point well over 15,000 hours of research uh, collectively into this sprawling COVID topic. Okay. Um, I was just able to support actually a, a test, uh, give testimony today for a resolution in a county here in the United States uh, that passed a resolution um, protecting small businesses. Um, you know, yeah, I it, wanted to know how that went. <laughs> it, it passed. There was there was a lot of consternation. They didn't like what I had to say. So one, uh, one commissioner who shall remain nameless and who I have a lot of respect for um, mm-hmm. didn't like what I had to say. He felt that what I was, he felt that my analysis of CDC and um, state health department and local county um, data that's published for everybody felt that I was being misleading, but wouldn't say how I was being misleading. So um, I'm just going to surround him with love, logic, and light, and hopefully he wants to engage in a conversation with me um, because it's okay to disagree, but I just hope we agree that it's not okay to be disagreeable when we interact. That's with a difference, yeah. I mean, if you can recognize that we're all on the same team, Mm-hmm. And we just want to find out what's true and beneficial. Right. That maybe we don't have to be as disagreeable. So right. he he must have been one of the dissenting votes. Yeah, he was a dissenting vote, and, and we knew, as suspected, he would be. You can't say the right thing to the wrong ear, you know, and, and that's okay. Well, you can. You just don't get a nice reception. <laughs> well, typically, yeah, yeah, typically you don't. Yeah. Right. You know, but I, I still think it's so important for us to be kind uh, to each other, even in the yeah. face of that. And it's challenging. I'm not going to front. It's, it's challenging sometimes, but, you know, it's still like, you know, is my heart in the right place? Well, if I'm being kind, even in those instances, then, yeah, I can say to myself and to my ancestors that, yeah, my heart's in the right place. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like everybody's watching us all the time. It's (laughs) nothing happens in secret for real, you know, but just so that people are up to speed on what you were working on in that meeting, Mm -hmm. that was for a small town in Oregon, right? Uh, A a county. Yeah. A county. Sorry. And what were they trying to actually pass? It was a resolution. It was, right. it was just a resolution to uh, that a that businesses could present if they were fined by OSHA or if they were uh, fined by um, a state um, law enforcement agent and had to go to court to contest a fine that they could present it to the presiding judge and say, hey, here's proof of me doing everything I could do in my power in good faith to follow these orders, but these orders are putting me out of business. And so... I need you to waive the fine. It was just, it's just a, it's a, it's just a, pr- a protection. It's just like a feeling of support. It's not a law. Right. It's not but, a law. But it could show that, you know, my county's behind me. It, it's exactly what it is. It's a vote of confidence like for that. businesses in the county. It's exactly what it is. Now, at your meeting, you mentioned before that you also had some conventional, I assume, health, health department people showing up, right? Yeah, they, they declined to attend and, and speak uh, today, and, and that's 
that's fine. That's their their right to do so. We right. suspect that there's going to be we're going to get a chance to interact with them in hopefully a productive way. Again, I'm just going to keep putting out what I want, you know, into the world. But hopefully, not what you're worried about here. could happen. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. I'm not going to give that energy. I'm going to give energy that we're all humans and that sanity will prevail. That'd be great. I think that would help a lot of things. So, and that's one major theme, you know, of communications is being very familiar with the educational system for uh, right now, for example, public health. Mm -hmm. What insights have you gotten up to now for how to have harmonious communication with people coming from that background? Well, I think we we rely on the same rules we have for interacting with the people we love, and that is um, make sure we're listening, but not just listening to respond, but listening to understand what they're saying, where they're coming okay. from, because there are some valid concerns on that, sure. uh, you know, that, that I, that I totally resonate with. Um, but I think then when in our communication, it's so important to one, make sure that what we're saying is verifiable, right? So that we can, okay. it's not, it's, this isn't coming from me. I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I didn't make this up. This is, you know, this is my findings right. to make sure we sandwich things that we complement offer our insights or corrections and then compliment on the way out. So people know it's not a personal attack. You know, it's just, Hey, we have a difference of opinion. That's okay. But let's see where we have common ground because we're not doing enough of that in our conversations to explore. Where's our common ground on this issue? Yeah. Too much of it moves into the ad hominem idea of showing that the other person's a terrible person rather than looking at the issue you're supposed to be talking about. Well, that's when you know they won that you've won. They they at the end started to attack my uh, education, and oh, that I'm right. just a lowly naturopathic doctor. <laughs> exactly, not even medical. Actually, the the naturopathic colleges are moving very much into merging with the medical right now. Yeah, there's there's a we there's a movement in our uh, field that's called green alleopathy, and that's the problem. Is we we're like, look, what we do when we do it well is is valid and stands on its own. We don't need Big Brother to yeah. validate us. I don't need a pat on the head to help someone. Exactly, and I would think that one one challenge you would have <clears throat> working with the conventionally oriented people is that they are giving references that are government agencies that are not supposed to be questioned. Yeah, edicts, uh, fortunately, our country was founded on challenging the status quo. That's, that's, our, yeah. that's in our DNA. Um, so when we have organizations giving edicts and, and that you get vilified if you question them, you know those edicts aren't coming from a place that's you know, from the right place in the heart. Right. Um, so it's easy to, it's, it's easy, but it's easy to also be seduced into wanting to now fight. And my, my energy has this year become, and I've had some points when I've wanted to fight with people over this and my energy though has become, I'm not going to fight with anyone over this because what we have found and what we share uh-huh. is verifiable. It doesn't need, you know, facts don't have feelings. Data doesn't have feelings. Right. It just needs to be right. verified. That's all. And if we and- verify it, then it's what it is. Usually the people coming from the so-called conventional point of view are saying they're relying on science (laughs) almost almost exclusively, but science actually is based on questioning everything. Yes. There are no authorities that you can't question. Whenever I hear, um, there's two things I, I listen for, Richard, when I'm, I'm listening to in highly intelligent people talk, and especially if we've heard, a, believe me, the, you're talking, there's PhDs all over the place this year, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So um, intelligence isn't the question, and, and acumen is not the question. But um, when I hear someone say, I believe, and then say, and then they talk about something scientific, I'm like, well, you're not talking about science anymore, because science isn't in the realm of belief. It's in the realm of verification and reproducibility. Yeah. Right. And um, the other thing I'll, I'll hear people um, you know, say is, is just, you know, I think... You know, and, it, and when I hear these things, it's like, okay, whatever follows tells me that you can't verify it. So we're not talking about science. So that's when you hear people say, well, the science is settled on this. And it's like, well, exactly. hold on. Science exactly. is never settled. That's not how science works. Yeah, I think it's really, I think people can understand that, you know, if it's presented simply like that. Mm-hmm. Because mostly they would have to, it seems in most cases, say that they agreed. You know, well, science is this constant exploration. Yeah, it, I know it's true. That's what I, I just wrote a little piece yesterday on what I love about science, and I was like, man, I never thought I would write something like that on, but I had that exact thing that you just said, Richard. About it's about it, I, what I love about it is it's, it's it's the exploration into the unknown, and it's it's a courageous exploration into the unknown. Right. It's not a fear based. Oh my God, if I get this, I'm going to die. Kind of mentality. Yeah, know? it's it's also not, you know, it, it's feeling happy when you find out that you're wrong because you're getting a step closer to what's true exactly there's there's no what did what did uh thomas edison say i wish i could fail faster because he knows he could get to the right answer that way you know people were saying look at all your failures you must feel terrible no everyone's a step toward the right answer Right, you know, and you can question his relationship with Tesla historically right. and, 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 and motives for that, but, but yeah, he did but, come up with some good things. But it's a good quote, yeah, then that's yeah. A good, you know, it's a good, that's a good thought. Right, yeah, it would be amazing if, if schools and universities could absorb <laughs> that idea, which may eventually happen, right? Well, we have to make sure we maintain financial independence in order to do that. You can't, that's it's, a real it's, big deal. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to maintain independence of thought without financial independence along that, with it. That's a huge issue. That's why I was asking you, what can your graduates do? Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, the worst situation is for everybody to be dependent on universal basic income, and okay. it's being sold as utopia, you know, as those things always are. And people don't realize they, they kind of left out the middle part about how it's conditional on total acceptance of whatever they say you should think. Yeah, you, you give up your unalienable rights exactly. <laughs> to, to enter into that agreement. And if somebody wants to do that, that's fine. But I think the welfare system has proven and what it's done to the black community in, in this country uh, from 1960, late 1960s onward is it's yeah. itself to be an As, abject Especially failure. after Kennedy was killed. Yeah. Oh, it, it yeah, got it, really bad. It got horrible. It, and, and um, you know, for for what some folks would consider my people, you know, um, that's never the way we were raised. Like my grandmother, um, you know, uh, we traced our lineage back, uh, my sister did, to 1835. Um, uh, our, the oldest family member we can trace right now, 1835, a marriage license from two slaves, and they had to ask to be married. That's, you know, that's, right, that's what right. slavery is. And, you know, my grandmother was always staunchly self-reliant and independent, and I will do for myself, you know, this holy Henry David Thoreau kind of ethos. Yeah, you know? yeah. I really right? like that feeling. Like and so there's a big step forward in trying to make slavery universal now. 
Right, right. And, and that's, that's exactly right. It's like, well, let's start with segregation. Let's pit people against each other and label yeah. them and get them fighting. And then you'll be more apt to want to put on these invisible shackles, you know? No yeah. And there's so many splits between people. It's, you know, race and gender and age and economic class and religion and every possible way you can be split so that you won't remember. Wait a minute. Aren't you, weren't you all like, uh, humans you know yeah. the same basic family right yeah it, it feels like the phoenix it feels like we're going through one of those phoenix cycles right now where we're coming to the end of a, a cycle and then we'll have a reemergence and right. i think the reemergence is going to be glorious for everyone yeah yeah as soon as that can happen that would be really good yeah like um, yesterday would be great <laughs> right, right i'm sure it'll be at the right moment when we are ready to appreciate it amen but um so your second full-time job connected with the COVID stuff that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Is that mostly being like giving testimony and things like that? At well, it's, it's morphing into that now. Um, what, it, what it started out um, on March 12th, I started collecting all the data from uh, Italy and from South Korea so I could get an understanding of what we could expect here in the United States. And okay. what we could expect was that the highest risk folks were going to be over 60 with pre-existing conditions, comorbidities. Okay. And um, that's exactly what's happened here. Um, there's nothing out of the ordinary that we, we've seen here. There's nothing extraordinary about this, okay, Right. right. Uh, from a data perspective. Um, and then what we started seeing was the languaging coming on which started concerning me this whole flatten the curve and then you'll we'll let you back out all right yeah it's uh, only well, going to be two weeks though right and then and then we have to extend this out a little bit more so you got to make this sacrifice because we don't want to kill grandma accidentally okay exactly and, and then it morphed over the summer into hey, if you don't wear a mask you might kill someone and i'm like wait a minute time out yeah if, if i don't wear a mask with nobody around me and i'm not exhibiting any symptoms what you're telling me is i might commit manslaughter what an well, incre- that, that's, that's what you some- have to understand is that you cannot be sick and be deadly sick, and that if you have no symptoms, you're really dangerous to everybody else. And this idea of the asymptomatic carrier, which the UN, the WHO retracted, yes, without letting very many people know, yes, and they think that it's still in force. Well, and that's they, the CDC conveniently moved from asymptomatic um, theory, which was, was just a theory that was proposed and it was garbage the second it was proposed, mm-hmm. to what's now called pre-symptomatic transmission, meaning we just aren't, aren't showing symptoms yet. And it's like everybody's well, about to get really sick. Oh, right. So <laughs> it, what most Americans don't know and most people around the world don't know is that in medicine around the world, we're taught that you have three things for a viral infection, and that is you need to have symptoms. Symptoms tell us which type of test we need to order, in this case, a viral load test where we yeah, pull exactly. some blood and we see how much of the virus is there. Yes. And then the third thing, which is antibody testing. If you're testing IgM antibodies and they're positive, but your IgG antibodies are negative, that means you are contagious with a viral load and symptoms. And if you test IgG and you don't have symptoms and you don't have a viral load, guess what? You have natural adaptive immunity. Your body has figured this out and now you don't need an artificial infection otherwise known as a vaccine. Now, to do an accurate antibody test, Mm -hmm. do you not need a sample of the virus that you're supposed to be looking for antibodies? So let's just jump into the deep end here, quick. Yeah. (laughs) We only have a few minutes, so I thought we should try it, you know. 
there's a very interesting report I'd encourage your audience to check out. It's the um, Corman-Drosten Review Report. Uh, It was done by a number of very acclaimed um, molecular biologists and and professors from uh, Europe. There was about, I think there's about 21 people listed on the paper with all their credentials, and it's substantial. And it's a detailed paper. But at the end of the paper, they found 10 problems with the PCR testing. And one of the major problems they found was that it's not based upon a um, live um, virus. It's not based upon a virus that they were able to culture. It's it's a mm. it's a synthetic computerized, you know, uh, for, for lack of a better description, three uh, D print of what they think the virus. Which, the translation is. of that is the computer actually made up most of the virus, right? Filling right. in the blanks that they didn't have any live samples it, of. It, exactly, and and so. You know, all of the testing is based upon that. The these vaccines that are being rolled out are are apparently based upon that. I haven't delved in as deep as I want to yet, so I'm not going to going to reserve my comment on that. Okay. But um, you know, when when we looked at, I looked at the original um, PubMed um, research coming out of China, saying that hey, we've isolated the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and um, what's concerning for me in that process was there was no verification. Uh, by uh, any other teams in China, let alone in other countries, that it's like we're all just going to have to take this word of this one of these scientists that this is what the viral genomic sequence is and and move on with it. And I, I think that's um, that is such an opportunity for corruption. At the very least, the optics of doing that are horrible. You know, that's not the way science is designed to work. Ideally, you really want a sample of the actual material you're trying to test for, right? Right. You want a live live culture, which means in a viral situation, they would take the virus um, and introduce it to uh, a supportive cell, a cell that can host it, um, Mm -hmm. in this case, hopefully a human cell. And you would have enough cells in the Petri disk so that you could transport that virus you know, to other labs, so the labs yeah. can then test it and say, yes, that, that viral sequence you're publishing, it, we've confirmed it, let's put it in the international database. On and this. that's exactly what this patient has. Right. And exactly. then you have a quantitative test so that they don't just have some minute trace of it, which is irrelevant. Right. They have to have enough to make them sick. Well, uh, what's interesting, we're, I think we're all getting a, a great lesson and, and education on PCR testing. And yeah. the, the person who designed PCR testing and won a Nobel Prize for it, Carrie, Dr. Carrie Moles, um, who, uh, who <laughs> unfortunately is no longer with us, um, right. he was point blank. This is not a diagnostic tool. This is a process of elimination tool that if you have some symptoms and you want to get a quick, inexpensive look at what's going on on a tissue sample or mm-hmm. a sample of, of you know, mucosal uh, fluid and see what's in there, you can run a PCR test. And then what that allows you to do is it allows you to use other tests to confirm. Quantitative tests. Right. right. This, is, this, yeah. is, this is exactly how this test is not supposed to be used, but we are continuing to use it that way. And um, even though on June, excuse me, on uh, July 17th, the CDC moved, and this is on their website, but they moved yeah. from a test-based methodology, which is all you need is a test to confirm, to a symptom-based methodology, which confirms what the World Health Organization did, which says that if you don't have symptoms, you're not 
sick. You're not, well, let me say this. If you don't have symptoms, you're not contagious. Because that's what we're concerned about, transference of, of this, right. um, this virus to other people, especially people in high-risk demographics. Well, and didn't Kerry Mullis, the inventor, also say basically the reason that you don't use this test as a diagnostic test is you can, it'll find anything in anybody. After a certain number of ampli- of, of cycle amplifications, exactly. Copies, yes, it's, and that's why you, you get this is where you get a little bit of fuzzy depending upon the um, person who has familiarity and expertise. But the general consensus is that if you're amplifying the sample material above 30, 35, even Dr. Fauci says above thirty five, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. If you're if you do that, you are exponentially increasing the rate of false positives um every every amplification you do over 30 okay so why don't we set the cycle threshold at 30 or even a little bit lower and then use the test well if you go to the document that the fda published on december 1st um, it's showing that the recommendation the guidelines for uh, nationwide for amplification is set at 40 well why would you do that 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 is you're, all you're doing is setting the stage for false positives, and my suspicion we've seen in a couple states what are called sporadic epidemiologic linkages, meaning these are people who are testing positive, who um, we have no known contact with. We can't we can't tell where they contracted this, right? Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. well, why is why are sporadic linkages so astronomically higher than every other? contact well maybe because and why is that why did that happen in october i don't know and then but you start going okay why is this happening and then you go is it possible that those are false positives it is now does that mean that i'm definitively saying that no i'm not but you're it's saying possible. you don't know right? i'm saying it's worthy of investigation because that's what science does science asks questions so there's two issues with the test one is the cycles Number yes. of cycles. Yes. Since if you run it up high enough, you can show everybody positive. Pretty much. Which would be useful if you were trying to do that. But if you wanted to know, it would just skew the everything. But the other issue is that you need to know specifically, conclusively what you're actually looking for. Right. And that's, that's where you start looking at the, re, uh, the um, reference material, what's called the reference material. The reference material used is this um, 3D, it's, it's this idea of what we think the genomic sequence is. It's not the reference material that's pushed out by GISAID and, um, and another organization uh, that's supplying all the reference material to calibrate all these things around the, around the world. It's not based upon a live fully sequenced virus, a, a, a what would be called a natural virus, something that, hey, we this came in, we isolated the tissue, it's in the tissue right there, look, it's right there, we can see it, and now um, let's build our test and our reference material based upon that, not based upon this manufactured genetic sequence that has been right. entered into the International Database of Virology. The other thing that goes with that is that just recently... I'm not sure, I I should remember the source, but it's not in my mind right now. It was verified that the overall deaths, cumulative deaths of each year for the last four years, including this one, haven't shown any increase. 
Uh, I did confirm something last night. We went into CDC Wonder, which is an archive database that gives you data through 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also do some research into uh, Dr. Genevieve Briand from Johns Hopkins University. She published a paper on this, and she says very firmly, she stands by her analysis, that there are no excess deaths this year. That's what I was trying to say, yeah. Right. So, um, because this is the new debate, right? So it's always that they keep the goal, like the ad hominem, we keep moving the goalposts on this debate, right? So it's, it's this. It was, first it was asymptomatic transmission, or first it was we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. And then we have frigates, medical frigates sitting out in New York Harbor, you know, empty. And which then, no one used, yeah. Which no, yeah, which nobody used. And then we, and then we get into now we're moving the goalposts from asymptomatic transmission to, you know, this is why you have to wear a mask and social distance to right. now we're, let's move the goalposts again to um, this notion of, um, of excess deaths. So when you go in and you look at CDC Wonder, which has an archive of every cause of death, uh, mm-hmm, see, mm-hmm. and let me, let me pull up the exact number for you if I, I want to make sure I'm quoting yeah. properly. Okay, so CDC Wonder, uh, I just did this today. And remind me of if there's a site that this is on, because I totally It's the CDC, it. yeah, it's, it's CDC Wonder. Anybody can access it. It's public domain. Okay. Okay. So in CDC Wonder, all causes of death uh, total for 2018 totaled 2,839,205. That's in the U.S.? Is this U.S.? U.S. US only. Yeah, U.S. only. So so 2.8 million is what we had in 2018. As of December 9th, um, according to the CDC and their provisional records uh, through the National Vital Statistics System, what we have, give me one second, just pull up the exact number for your audience. Um, what we have through the 9th, uh, what we have through December 9th is 2,703,232. So we are right on par with um, what we expect to be the final count at the end. So we're not seeing any excess with basically three weeks to go, right? right. We're, we're not seeing any excess, any any anything that we could construe as excess deaths. I think what's important to keep people in in mind of as well is as of December 9th, COVID fatalities, and of course, this is a very liberal definition of what a fatality is. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID fatalities make up, even with that incredibly liberal definition, uh, only nine point six percent of the total fatalities in this country from all causes. 9.6? of all the fatalities so far in 2020 um, have been associated with COVID. That, that sounds that, like a lot to me. That means one out of every 10 people who dies, including car wrecks and everything, right. died of COVID. Or and yet either. there's no excess. Right, but there's no excess. But that's where you get into this thing of now they're subtly changing the language from caused, COVID caused, to COVID associated. Which, they, which there's a presumption that it's cause if it's associated. Right. Let, let me share a story because I, I think we and I think we have a lot of these stories, sadly, this, this year. But I, I have an employee who, um, whose mother passed away last week. Okay. Um, her mother has been in a really poor state of health for a number of years. Um, diabetes, cardiovascular decline, dementia, you name it. She's over, she's uh, beyond the normal life expectancy of 78 years of age. Um, and, um, 
my employee was working with her nutritionally and that we think that's why she got some extra years, you know, which has been, was great. Sure, sure. But now she's at this end point. They t- she's having trouble breathing and everything. So they're worried about COVID. They take her into um, her physician. The physician says, listen, I've done a chest X-ray. Um, this isn't COVID um, at this point. But what I can tell you sadly is that her aorta is starting to shred. This is his words from the heart. It's separating from the heart. Okay. So he says to the family, he said, look, I'm going to tell you, honestly, if I operate, she's going to die. Yeah. And if I don't operate, she's going to die. This is what's in front of you. So the family decided to put her in hospice care. Mm -hmm. She put in hospice care and they ran another PCR test, apparently, on her for some reason. Yeah. The test came back positive. They didn't show the family the positive result, but the test apparently came back positive. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, uh, mom died. Right. Um, a few days later, and on the death certificate, they listed it as a COVID-caused death. Yeah, that is common. And that's the problem we have with the certified death reporting. We're doing something vastly different than we've done for the last seventeen years, and we're doing it exclusively for one infectious disease, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And what's so crazy about it is you don't even have to have a definitive test, positive test to show it. It just dominates all of it. And that's where a lot of authors and researchers are starting to say there's no excess deaths. What there are are miscategorizations of cause of death. That's a really big deal. I think if people could understand that one point, They'd have a lot of insight into what's happening. Well, it, 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 if our research, our research based upon the um, admissions of the CDC that the average, that 94% of all certificates of death have shown on average 2.6 pre-existing conditions, which means that those are and have always been and should be the cause of death. Right. COVID, if it's positive could be listed as an initiating factor sure but that's supposed to be left to discretion of the person filling out the form okay because they know they know the medical history well if that's the case that means that there is a potential richard that we are overestimating or have miscategorized fatalities by upwards of 94 percent in fact cdc said that right they they did but now directly yeah. This is where we move the goalposts and get into an argument, you know, over what that means, right? right because most people right. don't know the depth of the 2003 guidelines and how we do everything for the last 17 years, right? Right. So where where that takes us to is saying, okay, well, let's let's play around with numbers a little bit here, and let's say, okay, there's this many fatalities that you're reporting. You're saying there's 300,000. Well, we're we're saying that, you know, what if of those are, in the worst case scenario, are miscategorized. If I do 300,000, I'm pulling up my calculator real quick, times 0.06, that means that there are roughly 18,000 fatalities directly caused by COVID in that group of 300,000. So that means that there's no excess deaths from what we're seeing data-wise right now but that we have a miscategorization of upwards of uh, 280,000 fatalities. We've been told that that COVID can cause heart attacks, and therefore most of the heart attack deaths are actually COVID if they test positive for it. 
well, we've had people get hit by a motorcycle. Or yeah, like, I remember that. Bus. Yeah, I mean, and you're just like, that's not, you know. And, and so then I step back and I go, okay, look, we're not going to be able to definitively prove that without freedom of information requests and, and detailed looking through sure. everything. So that's not a hill that I'm going to stand on, but it's something that I want to make sure people are aware of that there's this potential out there, but I'm not going to be definitive with it because I need yeah. those, I need those records to prove it. But what I can say to folks is let's stop looking at COVID cases and fatalities as a lump sum. Let's start looking at it by age demographics because it's so easy to see where our high risk group is. They're 65 and older with pre-existing conditions and let's target, focus, personalize our compassionate attention to protecting them while not creating collateral damage in the low risk groups. There's a way that we can make it work for everyone because I think we all agree on some level, I hope we do, that mm-hmm. the blanket policies, the one-size-fit-all, it just hasn't proven itself to be effective. Well, it's like what you said your employee did for her mother. Mm-hmm. She was able to focus on her and help her live longer and better quality of life while she was alive, things like that. It, exactly. And, right. and I think the, the thing that was sad for me in that instance, Richard, was that um, – she wasn't able to be next to her mother while her mother was passing. That's, yeah. that's the tragedy. We're all going to pass at some point. Right. But not being able to be next to the people you love because someone won't even give you the right to sign and say, yes, I, I acknowledge the risks. I waive any right to sue you if something happens to me. I want to be next to my mom. Done. Right. We're, then we're done. Yeah, and you see these sheets of plastic and glass and plexiglass yeah. and everything separating people. And yeah, it's just there's this special machine where you're each wrapped in plastic and you can right. hug each other through three different sheets of plastic and yeah, say whatever you want because you can't be heard anyway. So yeah, it's preposterous. You know, it's yeah. like look, there's nothing about life that has ever been a zero risk proposition that's that's you look at something like tuberculosis that has a really high death rate right and nobody's shutting down anything because of that it's It's also very contagious and it's actually a true pandemic yeah as as is hiv you go to the world health organization site and you'll see you'll see what those are those are legitimate pandemics but they don't stop normal life we don't right and we don't ask people to mask while making love either do we yeah or, or underwater or anything like that right exactly <laughs> put on your put on your going snorkeling put on your mask what well, you That's mean one glasses? really nice thing about most of these <laughs> declarations is that they so far don't make you wear your mask while you're swimming right exactly there's there's the safety we got to grow gills Right, you know. <laughs> right. Oh, well, in the little bit we have left, we ha- we should mention at least this is the mask thing is important for a couple of reasons, and this is the focus of a lot of mandates on local, state, and not federal yet. But depending on what happens with the final resolution of the election, which is really not decided yet, Agreed. it could it could be a national mask mandate for that. The reason that I say that this is important is not because it's probably going to kill you right away to wear a mask, but compliance with that has health-damaging effects that have been documented by cutting down oxygen and increasing CO2 and having 
gum and dental problems and things like that, but more psychological, especially kids growing up with the idea that you really should never look at someone's face. Right. That could take a long time to work out. But more important than that, I think, is that the compliance psychology will very quickly, starting now, mm-hmm. be applied to the fact that everybody should have the new vaccine. It, we, we've seen that. I, I, I You know... The one thing that really stood out for me with the um, with the approval of the Pfizer vaccine was that the military, for the first time in military history, is saying that they are not going to require their men and women, our brave men and women in, in service to the country, to get it, that they're going to let it be optional for them. Wow, that's um, incredible. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that that's incredible. That has never happened. I mean, when you enlist, you sign your body out. over to the government. They got the anthrax shot, and eleven thousand of them died from that. Well, that's what, and and this is where this is this is where we have to. And, and listen, I, I want everybody to understand something. I because this is always a very polarizing and potentially incendiary conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, I I've been attacked as being anti-vaccine and and all this other stuff. The labels, you know, let's separate folks. Sure. Let's, se- let's segregate everybody up. And and I, I say, look, I am pro-vaccine. The theory, the theory of introducing a weakened infection to the body and letting the immune system that's hopefully properly nourished beat up on it after it's been double blind, placebo tested, and after we have independent oversight of the whole process, including surveillance, and that vaccine manufacturers cannot be uh, uh, immune from civil litigation. That's a right. And that you get the, you will never, it'll never be forced on you. I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah, there's a couple of big points. The voluntary aspect complies with the Nuremberg Code. Right, and, exactly. And, and the long enough testing period and the honesty about side effects and all that would change the whole picture completely. In, in the, the thing that we're seeing really compromised uh, over, at least this is my opinion on it, is we're seeing that we're giving oversight to the company. That's wrong. We're saying the company could make mistakes and there's no recourse for a citizen to be able to address those, re- those mistakes because what a lot of people don't understand about civil litigation, they see the money that has to be paid out, right? right. They don't understand what that does is it launches additional investigations into the company, additional investigations into the product that often results in the company recalling their product. In a in, normal situation where right. there's no immunity, right? Right, and then improving yeah. their product. There's an incentive to improve. Right. That, uh, the ability to sue a company is our oversight of the companies. Right. And, we, and it's something we can't give up, and it, but it was taken from us in 1986 in uh, 42 U.S.C. 300 um, code, and it's specifically, if people want to look it up, it's 42 U.S.C. 300 AA-11, and 42 U.S.C. U.S.C. stands for U.S. Code 300 AA-22. That was signed by Reagan? Signed by Reagan, authored by Henry Waxman, California. Right, exactly. And uh, a lot of people think, well... You know, in fact, Bill Gates, and, and there's so much more. I hope we can do a follow-up to this conversation at some point. Sure. But Bill Gates was saying, you know, the, when he was asked about the 
effects. And unfortunately, they use this term side effects, but it's just the effects that may not be that great. And what happens, you know, is it really safe? And he's saying, well, the CDC is the gold standard. And -hmm. of course, it's safe. And they'll guarantee it. And people think that the CDC does testing. Mm -hmm. And they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't do independent testing. They rely on the testing from the vaccine manufacturers, who can exactly. cook the books however they want. You know, let's not kid ourselves about that. We're billions right. of dollars at stake. But um, I think what's important about a statement like that is number one, the languaging. He's throwing around the word "gold standard." Well, the gold standard is the golden rule. <laughs> do unto yeah. others how you want yeah. done. That's a really you. good gold standard. Yeah, that's the gold standard. <laughs> so um, you know. What I what I would say about um, uh, Mr. Gates um, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is, I want to openly wonder aloud, just how incredible our world could be if the philanthropy was directed in a way that was not just optically compassionate but genuinely compassionate. It would be incredible. Incredible. I think that's one of the things that really attracts me to your work and makes me feel like it's so important is that the the spirit behind it is not combative. It's not to show that the other side is all bad people and idiots and all that. It's to show that, wait a minute, we don't have to. What if we didn't, you know, go along with the fighting paradigm mm-hmm. and we said, we're humans living for a very short time on a planet where mm-hmm. everything is, you know, on the physical plane is unstable. Don't mm-hmm. we need to actually help each other and do the best that every one of us should be a philanthropist with or without money? And, you know, inviting these people who may have gone off in a different direction to, you know, you could still be a real philanthropist. And there's no reason that it's too late. It could happen anyway, right? Every day is a new opportunity to see the world and for what it can be other than what it's the direction that it seems to be going. And I would I would totally welcome that type of synergy that he and other people in his um, groups of, of enormous financial influence have the ability to create. Um, and and I, I, my intention that I want to put out into the world is to create that. You know, instead of I'm not into the whole vilification of people. I I believe in the triumph of the human spirit. Yeah, and that we're we all can all have that moment, that biblical moment of falling off the horse and being blinded, so that we could see the light. We can all have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's no way to really condemn anybody because that could be us. That can, in a way, it is us in another form. Right, right. We're right. We're this is one of the dopest things we could ever do, be born into this existence. But this is, this is, I'm sure of it, a minuscule atom-sized fraction of the true grandeur of what existence really is. Yeah, I think that would be a good project to demonstrate that now. <laughs> well, I would love to chat with uh, with Mr. Gates, and I would I would welcome it, and not a debate, but just a chat. And no, I'm proposing uh, a new kind of debate yeah. where it starts with the presumption that both people are on the same side. Right. The other side is defined <laughs> by being willing to change or keep their opinion right. under the idea that they both want the truth, whatever is true, and they both have the same motive. I love that, and I, I love the idea of all discussions beginning with a, a discovery of common ground, because we all have yeah, common ground. It's gigantic. 
Mm-hmm. And we've been doing such a great job at ignoring it mm-hmm. with the encouragement of the media and fake education and entertainment and all that yeah. stuff. But it's there, still there. Yeah, there's some complicity. <laughs> yeah. So we got a lot more to talk about, but hopefully we'll continue that at the next yeah. chapter. Richard, is it okay if I plug uh, our my, my team's peer-reviewed paper? I want you to do that and how people can follow what you're doing, um, what you think they need to support, participate in, anything like that. Uh, well, uh, thank you for this uh, opportunity. Thank you for this conversation. Today. This is I, I, I'm feeling so incredibly hopeful and filled up in my heart. Um, just getting yeah. to talk to you, you chill me out. And I was running at about you know 130 miles an hour <laughs> before I got on. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, the first thing, if people uh, want to connect with us, um, uh, you can find our paper. I guess Richard, I don't I don't know in terms of distribution, we can provide you with a direct link. Uh, that maybe you can share with your audience to the paper. Whatever is okay to give people. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, our, everything that we do, we consider to be public domain. Okay, so we're, great. We're what transparent. Um, so um, I can I send you an email with that information? Yeah, and, and we'll post it. In fact, this is a recorded conversation. All right. So we can put it on the screen. We can put it as a link below. We can do all that stuff. Great. Well, well, I'll make sure my folks send you over the full packet and everything yeah. so you can decide what you want to share. But it's public domain right. as far as we're concerned. So everybody look at the screen, look at the, the links below, and you make sure not to miss anything that way. Right. Get And start getting informed. I think the next thing is start getting involved. Once you've been informed, start getting involved. We have to understand that disagreements on social media is not being involved. Um, right, right. That's, those are those are just cantankerous discussion opportunities. That's that's not it. So, I, I say contact your elected officials, contact the Department of Justice, contact your state health department, contact people, and start making your voice heard. But right. make it heard in a positive way. You know, exactly. there's a, you know, I know we there's could a, do a of, whole show on that. Right. You know, yeah, we and we could. I'll, I'll love. I'd love to show them because we've collected all this information, and what we're working on is a website uh, in partnership with some other, um, you know, really incredible people that uh, we think are is going to give people not just the information, but how you do the next step, which is to get involved, to take that action. Exactly, you know? not feel helpless, right? Right. You don't. You don't have to be, but it, you know, action to be just conversating with somebody who is afraid and saying, hey, consider this. Right. You know, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm not attacking. No, and you can let them know you really understand how they feel, too. Right, right. I, I, I personally, I, I've learned a lot from the oppositional sides, Yeah. From, from the fear. And I have friends who are like, look, I'm going to be incredibly precautious because I have, a, I have my mom who's in ill health living with me, and I just do not want to take that risk. And I'm like, respect Tell me what I need to do when I'm around you so I can honor what you're doing. And yes. so, because I, I want that, I want that reciprocated to me on other things. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah, I do. Yeah. So and we, we need to give people a lot of specifics on how to handle, you know, this is, this gets into the issue of communications in general. Totally. It does. How to make them lead to harmony instead of uh, conflict. Absolutely. You, you, yeah, it doesn't have to be ugly. <laughs> you know? No. We, we make so many assumptions like that. Mm-hmm. may not necessarily be accurate. Right. Well, they, 99.9% of the time, right. they're not. <laughs> and, and what about how to stay up with what you're doing? Is there a way to do that? 
We're we're creating a vehicle for that. Right now, I'm doing much more work behind the scenes. Um, I do post on my Facebook page probably the most frequently, um, which is Hanalei ALA on on Facebook, uh, until we get a better distribution point. I do also post on our Facebook page through the Energetic Health Institute, uh, typically once a week, some stuff in in the interim until we get this fully this this full distribution platform that we're really eagerly awaiting. It's a little bit overdue, but you know, good things come to those. Energetichealthinstitute.org, right? Org. Uh, you can go there. Um, we have a COVID page on on that website. On Facebook, you can check us out, Energetic Health Institute, and go oh. to our Facebook okay. page and or any or any of our social media distribution points, and you can get some information. Uh, and if you wanted to reach out. Um, to us, um, I would say send a uh, send an email um, to uh, Operation Phoenix Rising at protonmail.com. Okay, and that's a way that we can we can start collaborating and working together and be supportive. We're we're really in the business of supporting people who are taking action right now. Operation Phoenix Rising at protonmail.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, protonmail.com okay and you send us things to put on links on the screen and we'll do that absolutely i'll make sure my team gets them to you tonight okay sounds great hold on and we'll say goodbye in the break here sounds good and hopefully see you back soon all right there goes dr henry ely and i think after getting the privilege of talking to him for a few minutes a lot of doctors could learn quite a bit from dr ely not so much in necessarily the number of technical papers he's read, which is a lot, and he's making good use of that. But in the spirit of what he's doing, it's so unusual to run into people in any profession, in my experience, that really understand that the spirit of what you're doing is what matters first priority. And and you could be involved in any kind of work or taking care of your family or digging a ditch or cleaning the kitchen or working out on the street for some cause or project that you're doing, anything, it doesn't matter, that what you're putting your attention on is what you broadcast, everybody being a generator of frequencies, every life form and certainly every human. And if if it's scattered, excuse me, if it's scattered and self-canceling and chaotic and broadcasting the frequency of fear or thinking about people doing terrible things or being horrible individuals or some of the activities that we know are going on on the higher levels of power and government and corporations and various groups like that. If that's what we're absorbing the feeling of, that's what we're sharing with everybody and I've seen people give talks on great causes and their focus was on this really dark energy and that's what the audience ended up picking up from the talk on the great subject. So getting to speak with someone like Dr. Ely who's conscious of that and actually working with it in legal proceedings in his teaching in the the school where that he started all of the testimonial work that he's doing all of that it's a reminder that doesn't just apply to doctors it applies to humans anybody and it's a way that we can open up much greater impact on the outside world and it doesn't cost anything 
it's really important work. So I'm encouraging everybody to get that from Dr. Ely and get the reminder that it's, it's, it's the most important. It doesn't mean you stop anything else you're doing unless it hurts you or somebody. But you can do any kind of work or responsibilities or work with family and friends and other things like that. It doesn't have to slow down at all. In fact, it makes that more effective and more efficient, more uh, better results of whatever it is you're doing. So look at what you're broadcasting, become aware of it. Certainly take care of yourself on all levels. Physical level is really important. You can't just say, well, I'm spiritual. I don't care what I do to my body. It doesn't work that way because they affect each other constantly. So learn like what he's teaching about natural health in his school called, I wrote it down here, energetichealthinstitute.org. And there's apparently some kind of certification that people get going through that. He's got partial scholarships available. And I'm wanting to see people get ways of making money to make up for all the jobs that people are losing right now and be able to work at something that they really care about, that they really like. And this, for some people, this might open up more possibilities for that. And it's an online school. So, Learn about that if you want to at energetichealthinstitute.org. If this spirit, well, when this, because I think it will, when this spirit spreads to more and more people around the world, the quality of life on this planet is going to change closer and closer to what it's supposed to be, what it could be, what its potential is. And you're the primary actor in that, actually. So many things we've been taught are the opposite of the truth. And one of them is that you're insignificant, uh, you're weak, you can't run your own life without a team of experts, and you have to obey nonsense and all kinds of not, you know, not true things like that. You're incredibly powerful. And it's not like you have to go out and beat everybody up. It's the opposite. It's becoming focused and, and bringing your energy in to become coherent and relaxed if people just learn the deeper aspects of relaxing they wouldn't even recognize their life anymore because you care you can carry that with you while you're in the middle of intense activity and it makes it more effective not less so the talk with dr ely brings up all these really important points and i invited him actually to join us in planetary healing club if he wants to because it just struck me that's exactly what we're already working on in the private club with people that feel like doing that, learning about aspects of physical health that have been violently suppressed in our country and most of the world. But that's just a springboard, a starting point, so that your body is functioning as well as possible and it's not distracting you too much by being in pain all the time and that sort of thing. Whatever condition we can still get back into considering the damage we may have done up to now by making mistakes, you can still make it a lot better than what it is now by correcting certain things that we talk about. And then that sets the stage for consciousness work, which is where the real power is. And that's why we're taught that that means nothing. And is physical force is the strongest force and all. None of that's true at all. And what the greatest fear of the negative power structure is that we become aware of who we are and start acting from that, which means it's not 
us on the personality level anymore. It's it's the original source or God flowing through you and taking over what you do, not just believing it. That doesn't make it. What I'm talking about going beyond that to experience what it is that people believe in reality. And that's the biggest taboo. And I've been looking at the taboos of the deep state and the global rulers for a long time. And there are a lot of those. You're not supposed to understand chemtrails or the fraud of climate change or the poison food or the damage from wireless radiation. Those are all taboos that you're not supposed to get into. But who you are is on another level and, you know, completely. And so that's guidance. That means that's where you need to go regardless of what else you're also doing. And it's an invitation. And time on this plane of existence is short for each chapter and i'd like to see the chapter we're in turn out as well as possible you know i know it will in the long run but i'm concerned about that middle part uh where it could be unpleasant and we have we have a great power to make that better so i'm inviting you to step into your huge role of playing a part in that if you want to so if you want to check out Planetary Healing Club, go to planetaryhealingclub.com and join us if you want, or do it on your own, or do it with friends, or anybody that has this awareness that these subtle levels are what matters most, and that you're not your body, that's your costume. and That's why the race thing is so stupid, because you can take different costumes at different times, um, if you realize that a person of one skin color now could have been the opposite or a different one before, everybody's spirit, you know, there's no, the conflict is all this powerful illusion that we're being taught by the people in media and education and so-called science and all this, that conflict is completely unnecessary and can't go anywhere unless you feed it your energy. And yeah, we need to fix some things, but you don't, necessarily have to destroy an opponent you can also wake them up if you're willing to do the work in yourself you still do your physical self-defense or whatever is appropriate to the situation you don't become helpless or anything it's nothing like that it's that whatever you're doing this energy comes into it that changes your effectiveness it's what the power structure is most afraid that you'll ever figure out which is funny that they're afraid of it because it would help them the most of anything too. They're not setting up a good future for themselves by doing all the things they're doing to the population right now. And they don't have to continue. If you're watching from a position in the monitors or the sensors or people developing things to poison the world and, you know, kill the life support system of the planet, you actually don't have to keep doing that. And it's better for you if you take a step in the direction of your own higher consciousness, if that's real, it's not some silly belief. It's something that can transform your whole experience of life. And it's more fun than causing suffering to other people by a long, uh, you know, long shot. So just, just a thought in case you're interested in that, um, especially looking for everybody, but that includes people in power positions in government, uh, the sensors, the monitors, 
people in high corporate positions that are involved in doing a lot of damage and thinking, well, I just have to do that because that's where all the money is. And that's where the elite groups get together and they get to have a fun lifestyle because they're willing to sell out everybody. There are things that are more fun than that, believe it or not. And you're invited if you're brave enough. So think about it. And in the meantime, take good care of yourself. And this is our Sunday show. We have a show on Saturday, too, at 4.30 Pacific, 7.30 Eastern, called Law Starts Radio Live. It's about current events in some way. And then the club that I invited you to meets half an hour after that's over, Planetary Healing Club. And if you have questions, there's contact forms on our main site, lawstartsradio.com. That also has links to all the platforms that we broadcast on and a lot of news stories and videos and interesting stuff that's all free. And then um, planetaryhealingclub.com, I told you, was a contact page. Also, if you have the means and you'd like to see us stay on the air for a while and activate some of the projects we have waiting for funding at the moment because we're not doing commercials, you can donate if you want to and if you have the means lostartsradio.com has a donate button. So does lostartsresearchinstitute.org. That's our nonprofit that runs everything. And so does subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. And we're on all these other platforms, Bright Yellen and other ones, at which you can see from our lostartsradio.com site. So that's about it. Hope to see you again soon. Stay in touch. Your comments and suggestions and questions are welcome. And We just want everybody to be okay. It's a really simple motive in this whole thing. That's it. So take care of yourself and you'll, by doing that, set an example for everybody else and be able to give a lot more to the people around you. So have a great week and we'll look forward to seeing you here again next time. See you soon. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on two YouTube channels, Facebook Live, Periscope, which is Twitter, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. 
And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the banned ones are on our YouTube channels at Lost Arts Radio and at Diamond Disc. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. to do.